This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by our fine friends at Bird Campbell. If you are in need of legal help in the states of Texas or Florida, please reach out to Bird Campbell at birdcampbell.com. Hey there, Duke fans. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody, and welcome to episode 136, 136 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I'm your host this week. I am, as always, Jason Evans, coming to you this time from the city of brotherly love in Philadelphia. That's where I've been celebrating Thanksgiving with my family. And joining me, as always, in Washington, D.C., Donald Wine. How was your Thanksgiving, Donald? It was terrific. I was in uh, Texas with my family, um, spending a couple days there, but got back here uh, late on Friday night and have been really just enjoying the weekend and enjoying my new SNES classic that I got myself for as a pre-birthday gift. Oh, very nice. Very nice. And Sam, you are in Durham. How was Thanksgiving in uh, the Bull City? Uh, Thanksgiving in the Bull City is lovely. Nice to nice to hear from you guys again. I missed our last show. I stayed in North Carolina for the holiday this year because as any of my classmates who are listening know, this week is is a big week for MBA students as they submit applications for summer internship opportunities. Many summer internship opportunities are closing <laughs> this week. So a lot of my classmates and I are around uh, writing cover letters and perfecting our resumes and doing all the things that are going to land us lots and lots of fun jobs. So I've been home doing that and uh, looking forward to that process being over. But in the meantime, Duke played a bunch of basketball games and unfortunately a couple of football games since the last time I talked to you guys. Yes. Uh, So, folks, just so you know what's on the menu, what's on the schedule here, we're going to talk a little bit about Maui. We're going to talk. We're going to preview some of what's coming up for the Duke basketball team. Um, Then we're going to get to some football. But but like I said, we are going to begin with the uh, Maui Invitational, um, uh, an event that Duke had never lost in its history. Duke was undefeated playing in Hawaii. Um, Frankly, I, I think we should all be nothing but undefeated in Hawaii. It's just such a great place to visit. But... Uh, unfortunately, this time the Blue Devils went down in the championship to a very, very good Gonzaga team, an experienced team, a team that everyone acknowledges is uh, one of the you know four or five best teams in the country. A lot of folks, Gonzaga is a you know a program from a small conference that is a big dog program, and uh, a lot of people are saying that this year's Gonzaga may be the best Gonzaga team ever in that school's history, and and they showed it. Um, beating the Devils 89 to 87. It was not a wasted few days out there in Maui. Duke did uh, have a very impressive win over a top 10 Auburn team, 78 to 72. And, and we um, we spanked San Diego State, which is another fairly decent club. The Maui field was strong, incredibly strong. Um, and Duke had no trouble beating San Diego State. So, so guys, um, let's take them all together as one, although I focus on Gonzaga. And Sam, I'll start with you. Um, you know, what are, what are the concerns coming out of this? There was <laughs> there was all this talk, all, all this absurd talk <clears throat> that Duke would be 40 and 0 and that um, we could beat the Cavaliers and all this other kind of stuff. And lo and behold, we can't even beat the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Well, first of all, all of that is nonsense. We I don't think I got to talk about any of that serious hype train with you guys because i think i missed that episode where it was happening or or we didn't just never talked about it but it, it was absurd to think that this duke team was that good right duke has potentially four first round picks on the team this year definitely three but after that it's not like the team is so deep that they can just run with that they're going to run circles around any other college basketball team in the country let alone a team full of actual nba players so Put that aside. That stuff is stupid. Jason, is, or I'm sorry, Sam. It's just like the the you know when Alabama was like undefeated for a couple of years, and people were talking about could they beat the Browns? And yeah, no, I forgot who it was. I think it was it was someone that I hate or that I don't really like, like <laughs> Doug Gottlieb or something. But he says something very <laughs> profound in the sense that he said, you know, when people say can Alabama beat the Browns, Alabama has 15, let's say 20 NFL players on their team. The Browns have 53. NFL players on their exactly, team. and this is exactly what it is for us. Like the Cavs have fifteen NBA players, and we might have four. 
Right. And and like we remember how good, say, Rodney Hood was in college. Rodney Hood is like barely a, you know, a, like a good NBA basketball player. Like right. it's just not it's not the same. Right. 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 We well, need to spend. I, I, we need... I, I apologize. I didn't want to get us off on this track. Sure, sure, sure. Um, <laughs> now. And, and, and yeah, we, we don't need to, to get into the, the craziness of the hype train, which I think. Has gone. Yeah, it had gone absolutely bonkers. So yeah, so putting that aside, (laughs) so putting that aside, Duke had Duke had a a tough week, right? They played a a decent, not amazing, but a decent San Diego State team on Monday. They got a top ten Auburn team on Tuesday, and then they got a top two, three ish type Gonzaga team on Wednesday. Now, I'm not saying that the other teams didn't have a hard week either. They all had to play Duke and all those sorts of things, but. Duke had a tough week, and I think they came out of it with a lot of good lessons, a lot of good things to work on. And ultimately, I'm not concerned leaving Maui that Duke has some irreparable concerns that, that they're not going to be able to address. I think the, the one that people are going to focus on most is that offensive execution down the stretch and how Duke wasn't able to create offense really well when Gonzaga locked in on them. And I think that's a fine criticism, and it's worth, it's worth talking about. However... Duke still managed to score like 89 points or 87 points in this game. They've only scored fewer than 80 points in one game so far this season, and they've scored over 90 in three games this season. So it's not like Duke can't produce offense. And the it would be, I think, more concerning if this team was older and these players were doing this, but these players are still getting used to each other. R.J. Barrett has never had a Zion Williamson on a team with him for an extended period of time. They've never had a Trey Jones to, to facilitate. They've all been the, the creators and stars of their own teams in the past, and they're still kind of working towards it. So I, I think the big takeaway from this is that, yeah, Duke underperformed. They, they were expected to win all of these games. They were favored over Gonzaga by, by eight or ten points, I think. And obviously yeah, lost Yeah, which is just game. a silly number. It which, was, was, it, yeah. which was dumb. Gonzaga it was kind of the, is, Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. And Gonzaga is a big Gonzaga is a big experienced team that has that has future NBA first round picks on it. Has a couple of guys who are going to be first rounders this year on the team. So it's not like Gonzaga is this overmatched WCC team, right? They're a they're a national they're competitive every year nationally. They're often like a one or two seed. I joked with friends on Tuesday night. I guess was the Gonzaga Arizona game. And my friends and I were watching it at the bar and and I, I pointed at the TV and I said, this game is every uh, 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 West Bracket Elite Eight game. Like every year it's Gonzaga versus Arizona to go to the final four. Like that, or at least it feels to me <laughs> like that. You're right, you're right. And, 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 and to its credit, the Maui Invitational always gets a field like this. They always get great teams and and it should feel like this. It should feel at the end of Maui, if Duke is there playing in the championship game, that they're playing another team that has serious Final Four aspirations, and that's what this looked like. I think this is a great learning opportunity for the Blue Devils, and I'm not... Ask me again, I guess, like in mid-January, if I'm concerned that the Blue Devils aren't moving the ball that well, because that's where I think this is going to start to coalesce and where the offense really hits its stride. Donald, do you do you see... Uh, that do you see it that way, or or was the execution here a little bit more concerning than you think I'm making it out to be? I don't think it was overly concerning. You know what it is. I, I mean, when we're talking about these freshmen, we had we start out by saying that they're freshmen. I mean, this is their what that was their sixth game in college. They're going to you know they're all used to being the man on the team, and and I think the the problems that we had down the stretch was really a guy uh, and a couple guys trying to you know, take over the game and, and, and not really being successful in doing so that's going to happen. And especially, you know, a week into or two weeks into your college career. Uh, so I'm not overly concerned about that, but also I have to say, you know, Gonzaga played extremely well the entire game and, and really uh, I believe it was uh, Jay Billis was saying uh, during the broadcast that they are executing flawlessly and it's taking Duke out of their game, which is exactly what Duke has been doing the first five games of the year. So I, I I think it was one of those things where Gonzaga was hitting everything. They were playing very well and it frustrated these freshmen because that was the first time that they've really taken a punch in the mouth um, and, and weren't able to really give it back. So I, I'm not overly concerned about, uh, you know, RJ Barrett down the stretch or, or even Zion Williamson. I mean, Zion Williamson, 
was eight for 17 against Gonzaga. It was the first, I think he's missed as many field goals as he had to that point in, in college. So, you know, they're going to have more of these bad games and it's really about, can they take these lessons learned and apply them to the next time when they're not shooting well, or they can't, you know, really, you know, they're missing layups or, or even, even, you know, dunks that are, you know, for sure. Highlight reels. They're missing can a we, few of them. Can we, so. can we, can we pause and, and, and be upset? I, I, didn't want to sound like I was overly concerned, but mm-hmm. I do want to be upset about the fact that Duke missed two dunks in this game. Can yeah, we, absolutely. Like, and, and can we dwell on that? I mean, we can because when you look at it, like those dunk, those two dunks were four points. We would have won by two. How many? And both of those, I believe, both of those missed dunks led to three pointers on the other end. On the other end, so yeah. So there were that's yep, ten were points. That's ten points point differential. Swings. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and then you also have the fact that we missed how many layups? Maybe like it seemed like 10 at least. Um, and a lot of those ended up being points on the other end as well. So, uh, I mean, you have those sort of things. But before I kick it back to Jason, I want to point out I would be remiss if we did not go back to the Auburn game and point out what a, a, a edit here if you need to or or bleep, whatever. What a fucking great game Marquise Bolton had against Auburn. Like we have to talk about that. Uh you know, he was but four Donald, for five. He didn't, he didn't make any threes. He didn't make any threes. <laughs> and you know what? He say like, when I say he saved the game, I don't mean in the sense that it was a point where we were uh, in danger of losing that game. Um, you know, Auburn came close, but he was the, he was the motor. He was the engine. And it was the first time, you know, in, you know, of the season that an upperclassman said, put the team on my back. I mean, he had 11 points. He had nine rebounds, seven block shots, and they were all crucial blocks, including that one where he blocked it and then ran the length of the floor to receive the alley-oop from Trey Jones. What Just a great play that was. That was an incredible play. Yeah. And and really, you know, we, we've talked about his struggles throughout the years here at Duke uh, on this podcast. And so when he has a game as fucking awesome as that was, you have to recognize that. So uh, shout out Mark Bolden for that extraordinary display that he had against Auburn. Um, and it was, it was a phenomenal performance. So I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to immediately shunt aside what Bolden did against Auburn. And, and I thought a great team effort. Auburn's a really, really good ball club. Mm-hmm. And that and Jared have... Harper guy is going to be playing in the league. Yeah. And, and his ability, difference. his ability to hit like just, crazy off balance on the move moving side to side three pointers i mean god that was amazing to watch mm-hmm. but i i do want to put it aside for a second i, I want to talk more about that gonzaga game um first of all uh, let's let's look for a second at what it took to beat duke um it took a gonzaga team that everyone agrees is one of the top few teams in the country that will probably they will certainly be number one or number two next week um, when the new rankings come out uh, in 24 hours or so, um, and uh, and and everyone has talked about how uh, you know how how great they are uh, historically for Gonzaga um, for a story program, but it, it wasn't just that, it's not just Gonzaga's a good team. Gonzaga had probably their best game of the season. At one point, you know, fairly late in the game, they were still hitting over 60% of their shots from the field and 60% of their three pointers. They, it it felt like every time they went up for a shot, they hit it. And a lot of them were open shots. Gonzaga moved the ball very well and got good shots. But they it wasn't like they were shooting nothing. It wasn't like Duke was playing terrible defense. It wasn't like Gonzaga was getting everything that they wanted and and they were just burying things um, that were that were easy, uncontested shots. They were making difficult shots. Even the contested shots were going in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so it took one of the you know top two teams in the country or so other than duke hitting well over 50% of their shots hit for most of the game hitting 60 close to 70% of their shots to have a lead on this duke team um and at the same time it took duke you know we were 5 of 13 from three point range we only hit 43% of our shots overall uh we only had nine assists uh, in many ways this was as poorly as you can imagine Duke playing on offense. And and I am going to get into the hero ball. I am going to get into RJ Barrett just for a moment um, because uh, RJ was nine of 25 on the game down the stretch in the final minute. He decided um, that, that it was going to be his job 
to win the game for Duke, and he repeatedly took the ball in the lane against Gonzaga, uh, got his shots blocked, took you know very contested shots. I think he thought he was getting fouled, and and he's got to learn that the refs aren't going to necessarily call those fouls in the final minute of a two of a two point game. Um, you know, you, you got to earn it a little bit more than that. Uh, he missed five shots in the in the final minute of the game, um, and a lot of people are complaining about his hero ball and things like that. Uh, I, I think so. You know, back to my main point, um, it, it took a tremendous number of things going right for Gonzaga for for Duke to lose this game. I haven't even mentioned the fact that Cam Reddish seemed to kind of go into a, a, a shell. He he wasn't he got in some foul trouble, and then you know the 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 sort of thing about Reddish that people have said critically about him is that um, he, he tends to disappear at times. He doesn't play with a lot of fire and passion. In some ways, he's the <laughs> the anti-Zion Williamson in that regard. Um, and and th- those things seem to come out in spades for Reddish. Uh, he he just, he didn't seem to be himself. He, I thought he was excellent in some of the other games in Maui. Um, he hit some very big shots uh, against Auburn. Um, every time Auburn would get close, Cam Reddish would come down and just sort of calmly drill a three-pointer and not even think about it. And you were just like, wow. Um, you know, this guy has ice in his veins. And then against Gonzaga, he didn't have that at all. He didn't seem willing to take those shots. Um, so uh, anyway, uh, it took a lot of things going right for Gonzaga to win this game. But I want to bring it to one other thing. Um, we all said the hype train had gotten, you know, off the rails, had gone crazy. Uh, and while I think Coach K is great at keeping his team focused and keeping them realistic, I'll go ahead and say that these guys probably needed a loss at some point, um, and perhaps this is a good time to have it early in the season uh, against a very, very, very good Gonzaga club. It's not an ACC loss. These guys needed to lose to understand what it takes to win. This Duke team was not going to go 40-0. They were not going to win the national title that way. Um, They are too young to know the effort that it takes, the focus and the concentration that it takes to win a national title. So they needed they need losses, not just one. They're probably going to need another one at some point to really figure out how to play basketball the right way. I think RJ Barrett, I hope RJ Barrett will learn from this game that he can't just hoist the team on his shoulders all by himself and will them to victory every time. Hey Jason, um a lot of people after that game uh in the you know day or two after I know it was Thanksgiving, it was kind of a, kind of a dead period uh, on the forums for a little bit, but a lot of people were comparing this loss to uh, the loss that we had back in the great Alaska shootout back in 1998. Um, the year that we ended up going all the way to the final um, in 1999. And people were saying they learned from that loss against a pretty tough Cincinnati team and use that to terrorize the rest of the ACC and the rest of college basketball up until the final. Do you see this as a learning point in that kind of area, that kind of realm that we could see, hey, they're going to learn from this and and what we're going to see is a much better basketball team? Or is, or, is, or is it where we have to wait and see? I mean, look, obviously we have to wait and see. I'm not going to predict the future. Um, if I could do that, I'd, I'd be hanging out in Las Vegas um, or on Wall Street and making um, a lot, lot, lot more money than I make. <laughs> but uh, but but I, I definitely see the comparisons. I, I see the similarities. I remember that Cincinnati game very vividly. I remember the feeling that that Duke team was, uh, you know, had the potential to go undefeated. They were far and away the best team in the country. And um, and that Cincinnati loss was a slap in the face to them, um, a, a wake-up call about, again, about effort uh, and about what it takes to to be the best um, and to, to hoist a trophy at the end of the season. Um, and I, I, I think they learned a tremendous amount from that game. And I hope that this current Duke team will will do the same thing. Um, I mean, it, it's worth noting that, you know, Gonzaga's probably their two best players are on their front line. And Duke still out-rebounded them by by eight, I think it was. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, we are still an exceptionally good team. Um, I don't think we're going to fall very far in the polls, not that the polls matter that much. I, I think the fact that Ken Pomeroy still has us, even after the loss, as the best team in the country, the number one team in Ken Pomeroy's rankings, is significant. Um, 
uh, I, and and there's still a tremendous amount that these guys can can do. <laughs> I mean, it seems silly to even talk about that at the early stage of the season, but they, they can still go 39 and one. I don't think they will. Um, uh, but you know, the ultimate goal is to be the last team standing in April. And I don't think you were going to get to that goal by going undefeated. So, you know, if you got to lose, losing to a Gonzaga club that shoots close to 60% on a day when several of your best players had off days and you lose by two, and like you guys said, you score 87 points, you know, uh, I'll take it. If it has to happen that way, not what I want, but I'll take it. Yeah, one final point about uh, the Gonzaga game, that stat you mentioned about the rebounding was one that after the game I was like really confused because during the game it felt like Gonzaga was getting every single offensive rebound every single you know ball in the air and getting two three four times uh four chances at at scoring and it would eventually score and there was a point where they had made uh they said they had made eight straight shots but it was really like it seemed like 15 straight possessions they got points out of it because they kept rebounding and then you look at it and you say, we had 22 offensive rebounds. So like you said, I think a lot of the things were there. It, it was really just, uh, you know, execution down the stretch and the fact that Gonzaga played out of their minds for, you know, 90% of the basketball game. Uh, and that's if that's what it's going to take, then, you know, that lesson is going to be learned and say, hey, look, when we are at our best, we can beat anybody. If we are at our worst, there is going to be some team that we're going to get the best shot from everybody that we face everybody that's what is that's why you wear a duke across your chest so if we're going to play you know even poor then all the rest of the guys are going to have to pick each other up because we want to make sure that we can take everybody's best shot we didn't take Gonzaga's best shot but we're going to learn and you know who knows maybe we'll see them down the road well well uh, we took their best shot and that's what it took to beat us mm-hmm. um but one of the best teams in the country playing the best they can, I think. I don't. I'm not. I don't think Gonzaga can play much better than this. And and they beat us by two, um, in a game where again several of our guys didn't play as well as they can. And you know, <laughs> Gonzaga's team full of seniors, um, and and juniors. Uh, Duke is a team built around four freshmen. And uh, I I look for you know one of the things that came out of the game. Everybody says. I hope we see these two clubs again because um, mm-hmm. everyone knows that would mean a final four or a national championship game. Duke and Gonzaga will not be seated in the same region. I think that's highly, highly unlikely in the NCAA tournament. I hope we see them again as well. Um, uh, and uh, I, I would look forward to that. I think it, I, I, I think it took a special set of circumstances for them to beat us. And for and the neutrals, it was a good yeah. game. It was a good game to watch. It wasn't, you know, Gonzaga has been known for some of their games being kind of boring, um, especially in the NCAA tournament, but this game was, very fun to watch and if you're a neutral fan you're probably wanting to watch the, those teams play again that game that game was a final four game being played in a civic center gym I mean, yeah absolutely yeah college basketball doesn't get doesn't get a whole lot better than what we saw on wednesday night and and i agree with you guys duke is uh duke took gonzaga's best shot there and you know the the offensive execution obviously down the stretch the um is is a thing that duke can work on but I think Jason said it. Gonzaga was making like everything they took, and it wasn't even it wasn't even that Duke's defense was so bad because oh my gosh, they're giving up all these shots. Gonzaga was taking bad shots and making them, mm-hmm. and, and that's that's getting a team that when you talk about getting a team's best shot, that's that's the best version of gun. Not you know they're still missing Tilly and Tilly, but but being able to make all those off balance and and running shots is, is not something that any team in college basketball can count on. guys we're gonna uh, move things ahead a little bit from looking back we're gonna look forward duke has two games uh in basketball coming up this week we will uh first we will play in the acc big 10 challenge against indiana and then on saturday we play stetson not going to talk very much about that stetson game but i want to talk about the indiana game um uh this is a this is a very good indiana club i've been looking forward to this since this was announced because indiana has a freshman phenom by the name of romeo langford 
um, who is a, a heck of a player. He, he knows our freshmen really well because these guys all played together in the all-star games last spring, like the McDonald's All-American game and that kind of stuff. Uh, Romeo Langford is a lock, in my opinion, to be a lottery pick at the end of this year. I was incredibly impressed with him when I went to the McDonald's All-American practices last spring. Um, his ability to slash and get to the hoop is uh, is really uh, you know impressive stuff. Um, the kind of the kind of thing that that R.J. Barrett does, I think Romeo Langford does as well, slashing to the hoop. Um, Langford, I thought, had really nice shooting touch, but he struggled a lot with his shot so far in college. He's hitting just 26% of his three pointers. But he's taking like four three pointers a game, which says to me he's not a, he's not a reluctant shooter by any stretch of the imagination. I think he's better than a twenty six percent shooter, and I'm really hoping he doesn't get hot against us. <laughs> um, the other guy that uh, Indiana has that we should be on the lookout for, Duke fans will probably remember, senior forward Juwan Morgan. Um, he's their you know primary presence in the post. Um, last year he played very well against us when we played Indiana. Um, he had uh, fourteen points and six rebounds, and and you know, was a presence inside. This year, he's averaging close to 18 points a game and nine rebounds per game. He's had some huge games. I mean, this is a guy who scored 30 plus points in recent games for Indiana. He's very strong and athletic. He's probably dying to show what he can do against Zion Williamson. I think the two of them will be matched up against each other much of the game. Um, and Juwan Morgan, you know, probably thinks he has a NBA future at some point, And this is his chance to show it. Um, you know, so far, Indiana, they they had a nice win over Marquette. Marquette's a good team, but they had a kind of a mediocre loss to, to Arkansas. Arkansas is not that good. Uh, there's nothing else really noteworthy that they've done because they, they just haven't played anyone who's very good. Um, and, and Indiana's like, they're like a fringe top 25 kind of team. Um, if this is being played on a neutral floor, you might give them a little bit of a chance. But coming to Cameron, Donald, I'll go to you first. What, what do you see of the keys to victory here? Uh, in this uh, ACC Big Ten challenge against Indiana? Uh, I think it's establishing our presence inside. Um, You know, when we finish at the rim, um, whether it be via layup or via dunk, uh, is going to be – those are momentum builders for us and momentum killers for the other team. And, we, you know, we saw a lot against Gonzaga. When you blow layups, when you, you know, blow dunks, um, those suck the air out of of a team. Uh, And so – that's our main focus. It should be to finish. Uh, all, you know, we're going to get a lot of easy looks at the basket when we get inside, and we have guys who can get inside and create space to make uh, uh, to to make shots. Um, if we can finish at the rim, if we can finish in the paint, um, if we can establish our dominance on the boards, that is going to be the difference. Because I think you know, you talked about Langford. Langford is the real deal. He's a really good player. Um, and, and seeing him in the, in the couple of games that I've seen so far this year, he has been very good. Um, but when you compare our front line with their front line, our front line should be tearing, you're tearing them up. Um, and if we can do that, Indiana is going to probably start out by shooting well, but in the end, that is going to be the difference. We can pull away, um, with those momentum, uh, builders by finishing at the rim and really taking away any opportunity they have inside the paint. I want to add on to that, that the, like, I, I, I agree with you, Donald. I want to see Duke being able to finish at the rim, but I want to see the ball moving around more than mm-hmm. we saw it in against Gonzaga, especially at the end of the game. Indiana is not on Gonzaga's level. They're not on Auburn's level. They're, they're just not as good as those teams. Langford, Jason, you, you highlighted the, the, the two key players for them. Langford and, and Morgan are both very good players. Langford is going to be a first round pick. Morgan could end up being a, an NBA player, but they're not, they're not on that same talent level. That being said, I want to see Duke um, executing a more sustainable, if you will, offense uh, against Indiana. The, the defense will come. I don't think Indiana has enough offensive weapons that that Duke shouldn't be able to shut them down one-on-one but on offense I want to see the Blue Devils move the ball a lot that's going to be what I'm looking for and it's going to be even though Indiana's not on in that top 10 level there's still a prominent program there's still a you know one of the blue bloods of of college basketball and they have a coach Archie Miller that that their fan base is excited about I think this game is going to be a lot of fun and Cameron's going to be riled up for it so that it should be a good one to to be at on Tuesday. Yeah, and you lucky dog, you get to be there. Yeah, well, you know, that's the that's one of the <laughs> one of the perks one of the perks of being here. 
Parks of Fuqua. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the the last thing I'll say, Sam, you, you mentioned it. Um, God, that that ball movement. I, I, I want to see evidence that RJ Barrett learned from what happened against Gonzaga. Um, uh, you know, I want I want to see him take the ball in the lane and give it up to somebody at some point because um, he hasn't done a lot of that yet, yet this year. Um, and, and look, the reality is he can probably take the ball in the lane against Indiana and score, you know, 70 percent of the time. And that's that's awesome. That's great. And he can probably do that against almost every team we're going to face. But you know what? You know, when we play Virginia. He's going to need to pass when we when we play, you know, the other top tier teams out there and we're going to play a lot of them in the ACC. There are going to be games where he's not going to be able to sort of easily get what he wants. And I think, you know, Coach K has shown he's going to put the ball in R.J. Barrett's hands. Um, uh, you know, as great as Zion is, as much as the NBA loves Zion Williamson, uh, I still think Coach K believes that this is R.J. Barrett's team. And, uh, and I've got no problem with that. Uh, you guys know I'm, I'm the biggest R.J. Barrett fan around. I'm the guy who was talking about him, well, you know, well before anybody else was. I, I, want to sh I want to start to see signs of R.J. developing developing more of a team game versus versus being a solo superstar. And he is a solo superstar. He can we can go a long, long way with him like that. But I don't think we can reach the mountaintop um, unless he's able to involve his teammates a little bit more. So, Sam, I just want to highlight that because you mentioned it. And I think it's really important for this game. Well, thank you, Jason. I appreciate my my commentary going noticed and and, uh, you know, given some some credence because I don't get enough credit in my life, just generally speaking. <laughs> this episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast, as always, is brought to you by our friends at Bird Campbell, uh, founded by a couple former Duke roommates, Duke classmates. Uh, this is uh, your destination if you are in search of legal needs in the states of Florida or Texas. We urge you, please give them a shout out, um, look them up at birdcampbell.com, that's B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. If nothing else, they would love for you just to reach out to them and share with them your belief that Carolina can go to hell. All right, guys, we're going to move on from the basketball for just a moment and uh, sidetrack into football. Ugh. Oh, boy. Um, so uh, so Duke played Wake Forest on Saturday, and Wake wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah. I, I have to, I have to <laughs> ask you, Jason. Did Duke football play Wake yeah. Forest on Saturday? I was going to say you're going to take Wake, umbrage with me saying Wake, Duke played. Wake Forest played. Wake Forest I don't, definitely played. I watched. I, I, I watched Wake Duke Forest played. play football yesterday. Yeah. So yeah, it was a uh, it, it was a nightmare against Wake Forest. Wake needed the game. In fairness, Wake needed this game to be bowl eligible, and uh, I think Wake was declared officially bowl eligible at halftime because uh, <laughs> at halftime it was thirty one to seven, and the second half got even worse. Final score fifty nine to seven. Wake Forest put up fifty nine points on the Duke Blue Devils. And by the way, Wake was playing with their second string quarterback, right? Their, their first string quarterback got hurt a couple weeks ago, I believe. Mm -hmm. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah, this, this wasn't, I would say this was not Duke's most impressive football game that they've played perhaps this year, perhaps last year. It wasn't good. It was not good. It was not good. I, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that I noted and then I'll let you guys talk more about it. Wake scored 59 points in a game where they punted six times. Do you know how hard that is to do Ooh. to score that many? Yes, yeah, they punted six times. There was a stretch. There was a stretch of the second quarter where there were seven consecutive three and out possessions. Duke would go three and out and punt. Then Wake would go three and out and punt. Then Duke. I mean, seven straight three and out possessions. That is painful well, Wake to watch. Had, and Wake Wake had a pick six, and then they had effectively another one because they, um, or not a pick six, but they but they had a. They had a defensive touchdown and then another one where they turned Duke over deep in, in Duke's own territory, which is effectively a defensive touchdown, right? Is that what you're getting yeah, at? We, mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we, well I, I, I mean, in, I, was, I was sort of getting at the fact that, like, in between Wake killing us in the turnover battle, they went four to nothing. 
and and uh, you know Wake had a few long drives. Basically, it was just both teams punting the ball a lot. It was it was what a horrible game to watch. It was just a terrible game to watch. In fairness, um, it was it was gross and cold out. But I guess it is November, so w- what do you expect? I saw pictures of the stadiums, and there was like no one there. <laughs> yeah, no, I it have, wasn't. I have it wasn't the most who, exciting event. I have friends who said they left in the first quarter. I mean, wow. Well, it's twenty-one nothing in the at the end of the first quarter. Yeah, I don't blame them for leaving. All right, guys, who wants it? Sam, I'll go to you. You were there. Is there anything more to say about this game? Oh, do I need to admit that I stayed home? Oh, <laughs> you. <laughs> Is this the- is this the that's part? The, I think that's the part. I think it's the part where you admit it. Yeah. Look, I told you, I'm I I I have a lot of stuff to do this weekend, so I watched <laughs> the game on the couch. But um, I watched it. I mean, I I I was I I should have been there. That that was that's bad on my part. I'm I'm sorry to all the, to oh, all the Duke no, fans you. and especially to the football team because they're my dudes. But it was uh, it was cold and raining and and I was busy. So uh, I I watched the game on on the TV. I was. Obviously disappointed that the stadium was so empty, but I also can't really uh, can't really uh, blame anyone there because I made the same choice. And uh, it turns out I made the right one because everything was going wrong for Duke. They were dropping passes all over the place. I think the thing that that they really regressed on relative to them looking good a couple of weeks ago, I think against Clemson, they they showed out maybe a little uh, they, they at least held on against Clemson for a few minutes more than than you might have expected against a team that is appears to be primed to to have another game against uh, Alabama in the national championship. But the thing that Duke I thought really struggled with in this game was the offensive line not protecting Daniel Jones. He was he was getting hit all day by Wake Forest. He couldn't get he couldn't get any rhythm going on offense, and and that was I, I think the big key here that the that the offense didn't even have the opportunity to get going because the line just wasn't wasn't doing a good job of protecting Jones well, and they and, 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 and you can't and you can't recover from that. Not just not protecting him, like we couldn't rush the ball either. We we averaged three yards per rush. Thirty four rushes, hundred and six yards hit. Against not, a against a not great Wake Forest I mean Wake Forest yeah. and, and Duke are, are are about on the same Probably on the same level, you know, I mean, year to year, one's going to be better than the other. But I think for the most part, Duke and Wake are about in that same five, six, seven win, sort of 40 to 50th percentile ACC type team. And recruiting, I would imagine, a lot of the same players. And, and Wake Forest looked like they were totally overmatching, uh, overmatching Duke everywhere on the field yesterday, but especially in the trenches when Duke was on offense. You know, there's some talk. Donald, I'm, gonna, uh, I, I'm not sure if you've heard any of this talk. There's some talk that the players are frustrated at the coaches. Have, have I had not guys, heard that. Um, yeah, they're, they're, uh, you know, it's Jason. It, we it, have it, rules it, at the DBR against rumor mongering, so just yeah. be, just mm. be, be careful. There, there's but, been some, there's been some stuff on Twitter, not from the players, not from the Duke players, but from people who were like, who would maybe know some things, who who say that there's some frustration, and and, and I mean, I have to wonder. Uh, you know, Duke's offensive line coach, um, Duke's wide receiver coach. Um, I, 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 I don't want to be too mean, but Duke's wide receivers have dropped a lot of passes and haven't had a lot of separation this year. Duke's offensive line has not opened big holes and has not protected Daniel Jones. Put those two things together, and it's tough to say that a seven-win seven-win regular season is disappointing. But but this hasn't been a great season for Duke football. Starting out against, let's go back to Clemson. Okay, first quarter, we're up six nothing at the end of the quarter, and the entire nation is like, "Holy crap, Duke, what's up? This is awesome. You guys are playing pretty well. This is like the first time that you know most people had seen Duke play because you know it, take that Virginia Tech game out because nobody watched that game." Um, but watching Clemson, a team that, as you said, is is contending for a national championship this year, representing the ACC, and people are like, this Duke team must be very good if they are taking Clemson to the woodshed in the first quarter. Now, taking it into the woodshed is not necessarily 6 nothing, but since that quarter ended, Duke has been outscored 94-7. to That is something that you see, you, know, you don't, you allow people to score 94 points over the course of eight games we're talking about seven quarters and 
it's not necessarily the defense. I don't put I mean, the defense has been struggling all year. We've known this. They've been decimated by injuries. We've known this. Um, but I feel like the offensive ex- execution has just not been there. And that has led to this already thin defensive unit being on the field for 35 minutes a game, which just can't happen. And I, I don't know what has changed in the last seven quarters, but um, it has to be fixed very quickly because when you're looking at bowl projections, I mean, entering that Clemson game, people were talking about us going to the Music City Bowl, uh, the Belk Bowl, one of those tier one bowls. And they were saying, yeah, you'll probably lose to Clemson, but it'll be close. And then they'll beat Wake and then they'll be, you know, eight and four in prime shape. Now we're seven and five. And people are talking about us going back to the Quick Lane Bowl or even to the Gasparilla Bowl in Tampa or the Heart of Dallas Bowl in Dallas, which are the last two bowls on the sheet. And that has changed as a result of not just the fact that we lost two games in a row, but how we lost them. People are now looking at this Duke team and saying, why would I watch them play? Why would fans travel to watch them play? And those are really, I mean, those seven quarters have been absolutely devastating when it comes to where we could have been playing and where we probably will end up. And and it's not necessarily to diminish those bowl games or those locations because, you know, y'all know me. I'm from Detroit. I was at the Quick Lane Bowl last year. But very rarely do teams go back to a lower tier bowl two years in a row unless they are the champion of of a mid-major conference. And for us to end up back in Detroit or end up even in a bowl lower than that, that is telling them that it's telling this program that people don't want to see them play. And that should be something that they should take personally. And, and they should really take a long look in the mirror about how they've played the last couple of weeks, because they may have cost themselves a trip to a very nice bowl against a very nice opponent in a very nice time slot, which would have given them a lot of exposure that these guys don't get on a regular basis. Uh-uh. I don't know. It's the Clemson game. It's it's this wake fifty nine to seven. I mean, it's just there's there's nothing else to say other than that fifty nine to seven to wake. They gave up. It it seemed like watching it. They that the team gave up pretty quickly. Yeah, it it wasn't. It's not like it was getting any better as the game went on. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and that's that's the worst thing you can say about your team is that they gave up. All right, guys, we're going to return to basketball, um, about to wrap things up, but we, uh, we have to do parting shots. But before we get to parting shots, it is time for our Basketball Player of the Week. We had three games in Maui. Sam, I will go to you first. Who did you think was the Player of the Week in Duke's performance in Maui? So despite the fact that his, his field goal percentage is down to a pedestrian 65%, I still think it's Zion Williamson. He still, he still showed... Uh, the overwhelming athleticism and the ability occasionally, I suppose, to, to dominate in the paint, to, to swat the ball away. He had, he had a couple of really fancy dunks um, and, and block shots. Obviously Donald also mentioned, I think one of you mentioned Marquise Bolden having an excellent game against Auburn, but I'm still going to give it to Zion Williamson. Donald, how about you? You're going to, you're going to go with that Bolden thing. I am definitely going with Bolden because in my opinion, that was the performance of the week um, and, and really came at, a, at an opportune time against a top 10 opponent in Auburn. That's the sort of play you want to see from Marquise Bolden. That's the sort of performance you want to see from him. And I'm glad we got that in Maui. Um, and I'm glad he, I'm happy for him. Uh, so I am happy to give my player of the week domination to him. Uh, my player of the week, we're going to have three different guys. I'm going with Trey Jones. We haven't talked enough about Trey Jones this week. Um, uh, he scored in double figures in all three games. He was outstanding. I mean, the reason Duke had a chance against Gonzaga late in that game was because Trey Jones was getting in the lane and finishing beautifully. Um, we saw uh, offensive skills from Trey Jones that we have not seen yet, um, out in Maui and, and, uh, you know, really, really impressive. And then there's his defense, uh, I was unbelievably impressed with his ability to force guards to stay in front of him. Look, we, we talked about those Auburn guards um, who are incredibly quick and, uh, and you know, capable of putting up shots at any angles. I thought Trey Jones did an amazing job of defending them. 
of, of forcing them into bad shots. It was bad shots they sometimes made, but a lot of the time it was bad shots that they missed. I, I just thought Trey was was really great. And, and as always, he's the guy captaining the offense, initiating most of what we do offensively. Um, uh, and I think he's the he's the best defender on the team. Um, uh, and, and, and so my player of the week is Trey Jim. And that brings us to our parting shots, getting ready to wrap things up. Sam, I will start with you. What do you have for me? So Duke got a uh, football commitment this week. We'll, we'll, I'll, I'll pivot back to football quickly. Duke got a football commitment this week from a senior quarterback named Gavin Spurrier. You heard that right. That would be Spurrier as in Steve Spurrier. He's Steve Spurrier's grandson. Steve Spurrier, of course, former Duke football coach. I think that's, I think that's probably the most notable thing uh, that's ever happened in Steve Spurrier's career was being the football coach at Duke. So uh, <laughs> Duke gets, absolutely. I don't remember him Duke after gets, that. Duke gets, uh, yeah, whatever happened to Steve Spurrier? Um, really, really fantastic football coach in the 80s. But his grandson is coming to Duke next year. He, I, I, I don't want to pretend that I know a whole lot about how high school football scouting and recruiting works. But uh, it's exciting that there's a Spurrier coming. Maybe he'll pop in for a game or two and, and we'll all get to wave at Steve Spurrier. And so that's great. Excited, excited to have a Spurrier back at Duke. Things were things were great the last time we had one. Maybe, maybe we'll win an ACC championship again. Hey, what well, this means is, you know, sometime next year we could tell people maybe, hey guys, Spurrier is going to be on the podcast, and then they'll have to guess which Spurrier it is. Ooh, <laughs> Nate, that would see that's hey, I like that's that. thinking like a that's thinking like a real media hype guy. There you go, Donald. <laughs> I, I, I have to say, one of the things I really love about Steve Spurrier is how connected he has remained to the Duke program and, and how much of a fan of Duke he has stayed over the years. I mean, Sam, you joked about it, but but this is a guy who he played. I'm pretty sure didn't Spurrier play at Florida? And then he, he did. The yeah, he was the head. He won a Heisman, I think, at Florida. Um, he did. He, he won the good. Heisman Trophy about 70 years ago. Yes. Uh, but then he was the head coach of Florida. Uh, he was the head coach of South Carolina. Um, uh, you know, this is a guy who certainly could have just remained connected to some very, very big time football programs. And instead, um, every year, you know, he, he would cast his vote for Duke in the, uh, you know, in the AP preseason top 25. And, and you could always sense he had a soft spot in his heart for, for Duke football. And, and look, over the years, that was not an easy thing to maintain. Um, so the fact that his grandson is going to do is, is really wonderful. And, uh, I'm thrilled to, I'm thrilled to have another Spurrier, uh, part of the program again. Um, Hey Donald, what's your parting shot? So guys, if, if you were not watching uh, terrible football yesterday, like I was, um, you were probably watching some excellent football, which I was later on that night. Um, let's fast forward, let's, let's flash back to Monday night. Um, if you were watching NFL football, you, uh, probably we're watching the Rams and the Chiefs in Monday Night Football, and you're probably like, "Oh, this is a nice game." Two, you know, two of the top teams in the NFL, and they put on a performance for the ages. Um, it was a 54-51 victory for the LA Rams, the Los Angeles Rams. Um, no, they are not St. Louis anymore. If in case you're just joining us, um, but that game was absolutely astounding from start to finish. It was one of the best football games of the year. Until last night, when LSU Texas A&M oh decided yes. to go seven overtimes, and really just including a premature Gatorade bath uh, for Ed Orgeron, um, and then Texas A&M somehow miraculously tied the game, sent it to what they thought was just going to be overtime, and then seven overtimes later, Texas A&M wins seventy-four to seventy-two by scoring a touchdown. Getting a pass interference and a unsportsmanlike conduct call called against LSU, then getting a false start <laughs> against the offense, and then finally punching in the two point conversion on a, on a bullet throw. Uh, one of the greatest games you will ever see in any level of, of football. Um, but I, I think when you're talking about football, you know Thanksgiving is always great. Uh, this week you have the last weekends of uh, of college football. You, you the NFL's in high gear, but we saw two of the greatest games you'll ever see in any level of football in the same week. How privileged are we to watch that? 
And by the way, Sam, Sam, have you seen the highlights of the LSU Texas A&M game? Oh yes, uh, folks. If you haven't seen the highlight package, uh, I mean, we're talking one-handed grabs. We're talking, uh, you know, the the game losing interception thrown, but then being called back because the the quarterback accidentally picked up the ball and had his knee on the ground, and so he didn't throw the interception. Uh, mm-hmm. So many plays. It's just, it's crazy. And if Texas A&M and LSU play basketball, I don't think they score as many points as they scored in football. That is correct. Someone, <laughs> no, so number. the funny thing is, is they looked at the last time these two teams played in basketball and the score was like 69 to 65. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I'm so glad you highlighted that game. What an amazing game. All right, guys. So for my parting shot, I want to talk about the shame of the ACC. And that shame is the is ACC. UNC's academic scandal. Jason, you're <laughs> such a broken <laughs> <Yeah>. record. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, I know it should be, but... This is something else the ACC should be ashamed of. If you go to Ken Pomeroy's rankings right now, today, at this very moment, and you look and you try and see who has the worst schedule, who has played the easiest schedule of every team in Division I, 353 teams, the worst schedule in Division I in basketball, sorry, belongs to NC State. They're 6-0, but they haven't beaten a team that's even worth mentioning. And you go, oh, wow. Well, okay. So Jason's just talking about one team in the ACC. No, no, no. No. Do you know who has the fifth weakest schedule? 349th worst schedule in the land belongs to Pittsburgh. Georgia Tech, BC, Notre Dame, and Virginia join NC State and Pittsburgh as ACC teams whose schedules are ranked worse than 300th in the nation. Bottom 10% of all teams in the country. And I'm talking MEAC, Southland, Atlantic Sun. We're not just talking power five. Every single team in the country, the ACC has six teams who are worse than 300th in the nation. Can we and get, makes, Jason, can we get, uh, can we get Seth Greenberg on the podcast to comment about how great the ACC is doing and by winning all these, all these fabulous non-conference games? Look, you may think that the ACC does the same thing as the other major conferences and that, you know, oh, Everybody plays bad teams early in the schedule. Um, well, uh, guess what? The Big East only has one team with a schedule among the bottom 100 in the land. The SEC, South Carolina is the only SEC school that has a schedule ranked lower than 300. Again, the ACC has six. The Pac-12, only two teams in the bottom 100 schedules. I could go on and on. The ACC has six teams, almost half the conference, with embarrassingly bad schedules. And this is from a conference that has eight of Pomeroy's top 25 teams, three of the top four. It's a crime. We should show our conference strength by playing legit opponents, not feasting on teams that are barely Division I caliber. But I want to point out one thing worth mentioning, and then you guys can comment on this. The ACC team that has played the toughest schedule so far the one ACC team that has a schedule that is somewhat notable and worth mentioning is, of course, the Duke Blue Devils. Duke has played the toughest schedule of any team in the ACC thus far, and I wish that we could get the rest of the conference. Look, I'm not saying you have to play top 25 teams. I'm saying you have to play Auburn and Gonzaga. But I am saying that rather than playing the MEAC and the Southland Conference, how about you play, I don't know, play, play some Big West teams Play some, play some teams from the Atlantic 10. You know, don't play teams that are ranked in the 300s. Play teams that are 150 or 200. I mean, come on. A team that's, you know, 200th best in the nation doesn't have, a, doesn't have a chance of beating Notre Dame or Virginia. What are Notre Dame and Virginia and BC doing playing schedules this bad? But for, Virginia plays any team ranked lower than 300 that's within 100 miles of their campus. It's just terrible. It's terrible. All right, you guys take it. So, first of all, I, I, I'm glad that you pointed out that, you know, Duke is the team that is in the – they're ranked 20th. There's non-conference strength of schedule. But remember, guys, we don't play road games. So, our, our, our schedule can't be that tough because we – Yeah, no, I, I, I read an article about that. Yeah. About I, how Duke, Duke actually plays a very easy schedule because they don't go into other teams' gyms and, and beat them there. Right. So, that's a bunch of hogwash. But really, the, the sense is like – yeah, you're you're talking about 
you know, teams playing really, you have to feel for the fans of those teams, right? Like they're promoting home schedules where they're playing some of these teams that people are like, yo, like even I know it says Eastern Kentucky, but where is that? What, what city is that? In? That isn't, that isn't breakout maps for some of these teams and, and, and Wikipedia articles to know who they're going to play. And, and that shouldn't, you know, I mean, I'm sure that's the fans are probably like, why some of these, some of these schools are probably having some attendance issues. Cause they're like, why aren't they coming out to these games? They're like, yo, you're playing, you know, Houston Baptist, shout out to Houston Baptist. Like, my cousin played there, but they shouldn't be playing anybody, right? But here's the thing. But here's the thing. Houston <laughs> Baptist is 22nd in non-conference schedule. Why? Because they're playing all of these teams. You know, we're talking about in the non-conference schedule. It you see a lot more of these bottom teams with large with great strength of schedules because they're the team that all these little, you know, all these power five conferences want to schedule. And you're sitting there like, yo, if you're going to play the Citadel, the Citadel is ninth, guys, the Citadel. Like, they shouldn't be playing the ninth toughest schedule in college basketball. So maybe some of these teams, and it, we'll just start, we'll just do the ACC. We won't focus on, on the other, you know, umpteen conferences. We'll focus on our own stuff. But maybe some of these teams should be playing, you know, like you said, mid-major conferences. Gonzaga you know, is a, is a team that you can say, hey, is, an, is not necessarily from a great conference. Um, uh, they're a good mid, mid-major conference, but would be a great team to play. That will help. Like, because you want to see how these teams play in March. And the way you do that is by scheduling some of these teams that they could possibly see in March. They're not going to see the Citadel in March. They could see Gonzaga. They could see, you know, Tennessee. They could see, you know, Auburn. They could see Georgia. You know, schedule some of these guys and and let's see how the ACC really is stacking up. Um, but for now, we really have to wait and see because, you know, once this ACC Big Ten Challenge comes, that's going to be some of these guys' first good games of the year. That's kind of and hey, Duke's, it's kind of bad. Good part of the schedule isn't over yet, right? We we know I, I said that Indiana is not top of the pops, but they're still a top twenty-five team according to Ken Palm, and Texas Tech is coming in a few weeks. Duke gets to play them at the Garden, and they're mm-hmm. currently twelfth now. I don't want to put a ton of stock in what Ken Palm says right now. We're still in the part of the season where we're where he's projecting a little bit on the on the quality of the teams, but there is some data in there, and we know that Texas Tech and Indiana aren't bad teams. So Duke does have that. I also, before we started the show, Jason, even even before I knew that you were going to be doing this as your parting shot, I was I I, I had a note that. Um, I don't think we had yet referenced the Ken Palm standings yet this year, uh, at least as far as like who's currently in the Ken Palm standings. So it took us, it took us six games to start staring at the, at the efficiency ratings and seeing where Duke is. And obviously Duke, Duke is number one, but um, we'll see how that shakes out at the end of the season. Right. Uh, so Donald mentioned Houston Baptist. Should, should we take a couple seconds and talk about Wake Forest? Because I think we're seeing the end of Danny Manning's run at Wake Forest. I think I think this will be his last season. I'm not even sure he's going to make it through the season. Um, uh, losing to Houston Baptist is bad. Uh, and, Shout out Houston Baptist. Uh, by the way, Houston Baptist isn't even the best Baptist team. Like Cal Baptist is supposedly is apparently better well, than Houston Baptist. They are, but they are better than Wake Forest. Heyo. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think Danny Manning is in real, real trouble at Wake Forest. Um, you know, it, it's going to take them. They're, they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to finish higher than 10th, 9th or 10th in the ACC, I think, for Danny Manning to to continue on there. Um, I, I just think that, that that's a program in, in real, real trouble. And, I, and they're not going to finish that high in the ACC. So this is a this is a note to all the athletic directors out there who listen to the show. I'm sure there are many. Don't just go hire. Don't just go hire famous old college basketball players to be your coach, uh, un- unless they're, I guess, Penny Hardaway. Otherwise, don't don't do it. It doesn't work. So well, hold on. Danny Manning had a, had a couple good years at Tulsa, uh, and okay. he'd been an assistant coach at at, at Kansas and had done pretty well there. And then he had a couple very very nice years at Tulsa. He looked like he had the pedigree. I I, I will freely admit that when they hired Danny Manning, I thought he's going to get Wake Forest, you know, relevant in the ACC again. And here are three words you don't hear me say very often. 
I was wrong. So just to end here, um, the college basketball, the, the strength of schedule ratings that Ken Pomeroy has, there are two teams from Power 5 conferences in the top 20. We mentioned Duke at 20, and Kansas is at 8. And coincidentally, those two teams are the top two ranked teams in the Ken Pomeroy rankings. So saying maybe, just maybe, teams to schedule a little bit better. I fully agree. And it makes for more enjoyable basketball watching, which is what we are all about here on the DBR podcast. So, folks, that's going to wrap it up for us here on this episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I want to thank Donald and Sam for joining me. Folks, I hope you had a very, very pleasant Thanksgiving. Um, and uh, we will have another podcast for you coming at you next weekend, probably right after that Stetson game. Until then, for Donald and Sam, I am Jason Evans, and it is time for the Duke Band to take us home.